The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, highlighting the opportunities and risks that we see in the current environment, and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the Natixis models to reflect this backdrop. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Manager Solutions, and I lead the Natixis Investment Manager Solutions Investment Committee. After a not-so-pretty report in November, the labor market closed out 2022 with good news all around. Non-farm payrolls added 223,000 jobs, just a tad above consensus, but taking into consideration the downward revisions from the prior two months, the print was basically in line to a slight downside miss. The unemployment rate ticked back down to a 50-year low at 3.5%, with the participation rate creeping back up to 62.3%. More importantly, wage growth for October and November were revised down, with the year-on-year rate for December falling to 4.6%. A strong but moderating pace of job growth, increasing labor force participation, and normalizing wage growth, can you say Goldilocks? This is what a soft landing looks like. November seemed to present a conundrum for the Fed, a strong headline number masking weakness under the surface, but defined by a massive upside surprise to wage growth. The stagflation cheerleaders were licking their chops, but as it turns out, the November print that exhibited numerous quirks seemed to have been a whole lot of noise. What was odd? The response rate for the survey that drove the November data was historically low at 49%. Fast forward to the December print, and the response rate pushed back to a respectable 85%, a much more reliable sample size. The narrative surrounding the jobs data continues to be one of slowing growth and an inevitable recession. We've pushed back heavily against this idea as the data tells a story of growth inflecting higher as inflation begins to roll over sharply. Take note of where the jobs are being created, though. Economically sensitive industries like construction, durable goods manufacturing, retail trade, and transportation. And more importantly, aggregate earnings growth now stands at a three-month annualized pace of 3.7% the lowest since March of 2020 and rapidly returning to pre-crisis trends. As we've highlighted, the market narrative continues to be that a stubbornly strong labor market will force the Fed to hike further. But, as Powell himself has insinuated, nuance matters again, and that nuance suggests otherwise. The labor market is proving far more resilient than even we imagined, and wages indeed appear to be normalizing rapidly without broad labor market pain. And should we continue to see inflation and weight pressures cool in tandem, the Fed is likely to continue being data-dependent and nimble and very well may abandon this newfound love of a long-dead relationship between the unemployment rate and wage growth, the Phillips curve. The data continues to show a wider path to a soft landing than consensus appreciates. And what about inflation? The consumer price inflation print reflecting December data came in broadly in line with consensus expectations. Looking at the details of the report, there was nothing really new. More of what we've been seeing, deflation in goods, while shelter remains a bit sticky. Yes, everyone expects shelter to be the headwind. Due to methodological issues, it's a lagging input, and we've discussed this relentlessly. Everyone gets that, even the Fed. And the market has been mentally adjusting for this, especially when real-time market prices are showing declines. All in all, slightly positive to dovish takeaway. But what is really impressive to us, being able to print a negative, deflationary, month-on-month number in the face of strong shelter costs. 
That's what we call impressive. Disinflation is here and it's broadening out. One data point does not make a trend, but three, I think it's safe to say it's a trend now. Which brings us to an outlook that we've been suggesting for some time. The way the story is supposed to go, first half of 2023 will be tough, second half of 2023 will be better. But what if that were to be flipped? The evidence is slowly mounting that the odds of a soft landing scenario are creeping higher. Let's start with the tail risks. The worst case scenarios are slowly becoming marginalized. China is abandoning zero COVID and is moving towards a full reopening. Europe looks set to avoid the worst case outcome where lack of supply and soaring natural gas prices crush their economy. And the U.S. continues to see the worst of inflation behind us. As these risks get reduced, the market needs to reprice the global outlook for a better outcome. And what about earnings? At the time of this recording, we're in the heart of earnings season and we'll be learning a lot. But consider this. There are plenty of tailwinds that should not be overlooked. Aggressive cost cutting, normalizing supply chains, resilient CapEx, a weaker USD, inventory adjustments that have already taken place, an improving outlook for China, and factor in the idea that inflation is cooling any way you slice it. The odds of a soft landing, no landing scenario are increasing by the day. There's that same thesis again, and that consensus idea of the first half being a tough slog and a much better second half may prove to be wrong and in need of being flipped. We all know that consumption drives 70% of the U.S. economy, so let's check in on the health of the consumer. The bearers would like you to know that credit card debt is surging, delinquencies are rising, and consumers are cracking under the weight of inflation. Spoiler alert, they're not. That's not to say there aren't pockets of pain out there. Unfortunately, there always are. But the consumer is doing just fine, and their prospects are actually growing brighter. Recent data prints and headlines have certainly gotten the recessionistas excited. Falling retail sales, extremely low savings rates, rising credit card balances and late fee charges, and rising auto loan delinquencies all fuel the fire. But let's listen to what some of the comments from the bank management teams have said recently. J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon walked back his hurricane comments, and fellow CEOs continued to cite strong consumers sitting on excess cash and balance sheets stronger than pre-pandemic levels. Sure, bank CEOs are in the business of managing expectations and leaning cautious, but it certainly doesn't sound like the consumer is teetering on the edge from their perspective. In starting conditions, they matter. We stressed this during the pandemic disruptions and have continued to stress it since. After a decade of deleveraging and robust job gains, household balance sheets were at their strongest levels in over 40 years entering the pandemic. The results of excess savings driven by reduced outlays, forced savings, and fiscal transfers through the COVID crisis was a further strengthening in consumer balance sheets as disposable incomes rose and consumer debt was paid down. After all of this releveraging by consumers who are supposedly crumbling under the weight of inflation, we're all the way back to where we started before the pandemic. Yep, back to where we started. Simply put, the economy is normalizing from the COVID shock, and that means balance sheets are coming full circle, back to where they started. Not a surge in consumer leverage, but rather a normalization in consumer leverage. And in many cases, that releveraging remains healthier still than the pre-pandemic levels. Here are a few highlights from some of those same bank and credit card CEOs pulling from their earnings transcripts. JP Morgan talks about seeing charge-offs still well below fully normalized levels. Citigroup points to credit card losses well below pre-COVID levels. First Republic, with non-performing assets of just five basis points. 
Discover Financial Services spoke about the fact that, quote, behavior and trends from our consumer loan portfolio currently do not suggest that a downturn is imminent. Our credit metrics remain strong and sales are robust even as our customer maintain high payment rates, end quote. American Express's CEO noted that, quote, requiring spending and we see future travel booking strong, so I don't see a recession in my numbers at all. It's really hard for me to get my head around whether that in three quarters or four quarters we're going to have a big slowdown, end quote. And from MasterCard, we see a resilient consumer today, and we're seeing a generally resilient consumer spending pattern going forward in our, in our base case, end quote. The common theme, the consumer is strong, spending patterns are normalizing, credit metrics are strong but normalizing, and recession is not imminent. The reason for much of that optimism a strong labor market. Consumption drives 70% of the U.S. economy, but what drives consumption? Incomes. Strong but normalizing payrolls and wage growth translate to strong but normalizing nominal income growth for the aggregate consumer. If strong nominal consumption is your estimate for corporate revenues, then it's hard to see a recession or earnings recession with income growth and labor markets holding up. We are at an inflection point for inflation and growth. Inflation has established a rapid downtrend trajectory just as real growth is beginning to accelerate. Those who are extrapolating any 2022 weakness into 2023 throughout the broader economy are quite likely to be offsides. The economy continues to normalize with pockets of weakness offsetting areas of strength as 2022's long list of headwinds are becoming 2023's tailwinds. And this finally brings us full circle, back to the Fed. As expected, they downshifted back to a 25 basis point hike, pushing the upper bound of the Fed Fund's target rate up to 4.75%. Despite a multitude of changes to the statement, the message was largely the same. But Powell's tone in the press conference was noticeably dovish, a stark change from the message in December. The Fed is no longer pushing back against the market, and the market took note. The real tell in the statement was a simple one-word change in the next sentence. Quote, in determining the extent, slash cross out pace from the previous one, of future increases, end quote. The word extent replaced pace. That simple change from pace to extent affirms what they've been stressing for months. It's no longer about the speed of hikes to shock financial conditions tighter. It's about the terminal level. And more importantly, the duration that policy rates remain restrictive. In other words, they're within striking distance of the terminal rate, but even more telling was what was said in the presser. Quote, committed to achieving price stability, taking forceful action to date, effects yet to be fully felt, more to be done, ongoing increases will be necessary, maintaining restrictive stance for some time, end quote. Yep, we've heard it all before, but the Q&A was something else altogether. Powell made his greatest acknowledgement of the disinflation progress to date, stating, quote, it is gratifying to see the disinflationary progress now getting underway and we continue to get strong labor market data, end quote, an acknowledgement of the soft landing path slowly forming in front of us. Time and time again, Powell turned down opportunities to lean into a hawkish message. On nearly every hawkish rallying cry we've rolled out over the past year, he took a markedly softer stance. He downplayed the recent easings of financial conditions, saying, quote, our focus is not on short-term moves, but on sustained changes to broader financial conditions. We will take into account overall financial conditions along with many other factors as we set policy, end quote. 
Powell even went on to explicitly state that a soft landing was his base case. Quote, my base case is that the economy can return to 2% inflation without a really significant downturn or really big increase in unemployment, end quote. Perhaps the most notable of these comments was the downplaying of the easing in financial conditions. The consensus fear for many market participants entering the meeting was Powell pushing aggressively back against this easing like we saw back at Jackson Hole. You got nothing of the sort. Instead of pushing back, Powell outright de-emphasized financial conditions broadly, stating that they had tightened when the consensus view is we've seen considerable easing. The Fed simply doesn't care as much about the level of financial conditions after the de-risking phase we endured last year. And more importantly, it's clear that they don't have financial conditions with the same equity centricity that markets do. It's about real rates, mortgage rates, lending availability. That's basically the list, all of which remain meaningfully tighter than before the tightening cycle began. And while financial conditions have eased from the October tights, it's no longer problematic now that inflation is coming down swiftly, particularly in the vast majority of that easing is a byproduct of compressing volatility and improved risk appetite as inflation falls. Simply put, the Fed is no longer fighting the markets. The disinflation process has clearly started in the Fed's eyes, but they don't want the volatility of a stop-start hiking cycle. As such, they continue to stress data dependence and flexibility. The roadmap certainly looks like one final hike in March at which the accumulation of evidence likely points to durable disinflation. To be sure, they remain committed to retaining restrictive levels for some time and see no cuts this year to allow for policy to passively tighten. The most important takeaway for us, the risk of an overshoot and hard landing continues to fall. If anything, the risk is greater now that the Fed will need to course correct more hawkish in a few quarters if growth does indeed reaccelerate, as we've discussed in our other podcasts. For our longstanding listeners, this is the hike, pause, hike scenario that we outlined in our 2023 outlook. For now, the setup for a continued push higher for risk assets seems favorable, but we'll keep an eye on the Bank of England and the European Central Bank. Hopefully, we can avoid another hawkish surprise on that front that throws a wrench into the improving global narrative. But the noticeable shift matters. The markets isn't fighting the Fed because the Fed is no longer fighting the market. Our better first half and choppier second half path seems to be unfolding by the day. So what did we do this month? For U.S. equities, we swapped our market cap weighted large cap exposure for equally weighted large cap exposure. The thought there was that the market leadership tends to change following significant corrections and that yesterday's leaders, who by definition would have a larger weight in market cap weighted indices, these names would no longer be the best performers going forward and new market leadership would begin to emerge. We also increased our exposure to mid-cap equities where we see good skew. Valuations remain attractive, providing some downside cushion, while also giving us some upside exposure to the more cyclically sensitive segment of the market cap structure. In emerging market equities, we added some exposure to emerging Asia, a region we expect to benefit from the China reopening process. And there you have it. To wrap up our podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Chanisiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening. Important information. For listeners outside the United States, Nadexus Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Nadexus Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Nadexus Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., 
please consult im.naughtyseyes.com slash intl slash podcasts dash and dash other dash media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies, collectively Natixis. Such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds, or other financial products. Provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888, Boylston ST Boston, Massachusetts, 02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Managers Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers, LLC Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC. Add tracks, 5445811, Pod 37, February 2023. Expiration date, September 30, 2023.